Yes, we say amen to that. Wow, what a moment. I was thinking that's so much what we are as a church family. I know a lot of our college students are home for Thanksgiving break this morning, but we, we are the young and the old that meet together and worship the Lord. We're one family investing in one another, and what an amazing picture that is. A 20-year-old new Christian being discipled by his great-grandfather, a hundred years old. Wow. They don't see that every day in church. Getting baptized by a hundred-year-old. He'll remember this day the rest of his life. It's so good to be with all of you, and I hope you've had a good Thanksgiving weekend. I, I am sitting down, not because I need to, but because this morning, I just want to talk to you as uh, my church family. You're really important to me. Love you. We have a wonderful church family here at Central, and the Lord's been working among us in a great way. I've had a few things happen the last few weeks in my own life that I feel you deserve to know a little bit more about, and I want to reflect on some things God's been just speaking to me out of all of that. We're going to begin with Proverbs 27, verse 1. This was kind of the first verse that impacted me in this uh, recent journey over the last month and a half. It's Proverbs 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Oh, yeah. And it's easy when you're young, when you're energetic, when you're always healthy, uh, even for me up to six weeks ago, um, it was easy to kind of, in fact, I've had to say, Lord, forgive me if I've been proud about just sort of feeling sufficient for everything and having energy and going at things. And there's a dimension in which that can subtly replace that broken dependence on God that Paul talked about when he said, I don't boast about all the impressive things in my life. He said, I boast about, and he mentions things like my struggles, my, the insults that come my way, the persecutions, he says, the difficulties in my life. He says, I boast about those things because when I am weak, then I'm strong. It's one of the keys to living in the life of the Spirit. But when, when you're also strong yourself and always healthy like I always have been, um, you know, it's, it's easy to... It's easy to kind of fall into this sense like, oh, I kind of got things managed, got life in control. And, and you've heard me preach many times that we, too many of us live with this myth that we've got it all under control. I got it. I've got it handled. And here the writer of Proverbs says, uh, don't boast. No, don't go that way. Don't boast about tomorrow because who knows what a day may bring. I've had two of those days in the last six weeks. And one of, one of them's good and one of them's not so good. And the good one happened three days ago on Thanksgiving Day. Sandy and I went down and visited our youngest daughter, in, who's a school, middle school teacher in San Antonio, because she was 38 pre, eight, eight weeks pregnant. She is not going anywhere. So we went down to visit her and my other older daughter and her husband and our, our little grandson went down there too. And we were all together on Thanksgiving Day. Um, and uh, my youngest daughter, Angeline, and she's watching right now with my wife and high down there in San Antonio. Uh, uh, she's due, she was due next week. But we're sitting around the breakfast table uh, on Thursday morning and uh, just 
getting a little bit to eat and about to put the turkey in for an afternoon Thanksgiving dinner. And sure enough, those contractions started. And uh, she, she has this app and she started putting in the data. Pretty soon the app said, you need to go to the hospital. And sure, she knew she needed to go to the hospital. And so uh, she and her husband took off to the hospital. And uh, by, by probably oh, 8.30 or 9.00 Thursday night, we had a little baby granddaughter show up. Yeah. Here she is. Hardly a day old in that picture. Little Elsie Lynn. Elsie's related to some names on our side of the family. Lynn on, uh, on uh, Angela's husband's, Michael's side of the family. And little Elsie Lynn Bradford. Still a Bradford because my daughter married... Michael Bradford, it's such a story. And uh, there, there she is, and uh, she's just a little cutie. Got to hold her yesterday morning before I left the hospital to run to the airport, come back, and uh, Sandy's still there uh, just helping, helping our daughter out the first week of having this beautiful little, little girl. We have also, as, as many of you know, one, one grandson, one other grandson, who's going to be three this coming week, and... Uh, he took to his cousin pretty well, as you'll see in this picture. He just kind of adores already his little cousin, and they're going to grow up and have fun playing together. Uh, you know what? To be honest, I predicted it would come on Thanksgiving Day. Although it was not a divine revelation, it was just a guess, and it was just, uh, wouldn't that be nice when we're all together? Because it will save me a trip back to San Antonio next week. <laughs> And it turned out it happened. <laughs> Who knows? And, and I actually went to bed the night before thinking, ah, I think she's going to be waiting at least a week yet. But uh, who knows what a day will bring. We didn't know what a day will bring when we got up Thanksgiving morning. I had another one of those days six weeks ago. Uh, I was doing fine. Like I said, I always feel healthy. I feel energy. I'm good. I mean, I'm not what I was when I was 25, because I'm a little older than that now, but, but I live pretty aggressively and pretty energetically, and um, by God's grace, except for getting a cold once in a while, I'm healthy. So I was work it was a Monday morning six weeks ago, and I was uh, working out at the Y. If I can get to the Y three times a week or something, I'm doing good. And so I lifted a few weights, and then I usually do a half hour on the elliptical, and I, I, was, I was up to 25 minutes. It was totally normal. I was tracking my heart rate there on the screen, and everything was fine. And I was feeling good. I was just saying, well, I'll just do five minutes more, get up to my half hour. 25 minutes hits into this. And all of a sudden, I break out in this cold sweat. And this wave of nausea comes over me. And, and I didn't think heart attack. I thought what I ate for breakfast. Because occasionally, that's exactly how I feel when I've had food poisoning. Or maybe when I've been overseas and my stomach isn't, isn't adjusting well to the food and other cultures. And, and, uh, it, and I'll break into this cold sweat and I'll feel this nausea. You know, you throw up, you feel better. And well, I couldn't throw up and I, I just thought, oh man, I must have food poisoning. And I went another few seconds, but then my arms started feeling strange. I have no word I've been able to find to describe what I felt. I've never felt it before. It wasn't tingling. It wasn't numbness. 
It was something in between. It was something just other. And my leg's a bit funny, so I decided I'll stop at 25 minutes. I sat down there at the Y and kind of regained my composure. Not sure why that happened, except I probably still had food poisoning. So I jumped in my car, drove five minutes home, and by the time I got home, I was feeling really weird. Not like I've ever felt before. And uh, I sat down and, and I, I felt I better tell Sandy something's happening to me. I don't know what. And uh, so I started telling her what was happening to me and she pulls out her phone and Googles heart attack. And she starts listing the symptoms of a heart attack. And I go, uh-oh, I've got two-thirds of those. And my chest started tightening. So she called 911. It's probably 9.30 on a Monday morning by this point. And she called 911 and the ambulance came. It was a Cox ambulance that took me to Mercy where my doctor was. It was a very ecumenical experience. <laughs> I thought that was nice. But I've never been in an ambulance as a patient in my life before. But they put me on that gurney, took me down the driveway, got me in the back of the ambulance, and it took off. Sirens blaring fast. And it's bumpy in the back of an ambulance when the sirens are blaring and it's fast. And the guy put these probes on my chest and this tape spits out an EKG and he looks at, at it and he said, no wonder you're feeling like, and then he used a slightly colorful word. <laughs> he said, you're having a heart attack and your pulse is down in the low 40s. And, and uh, I don't remember everything about, I must have been in and out a little bit, I don't remember everything about the ride. Uh, to Mercy, about a 10-minute ride, I think. But uh, I do remember we were really bouncing. This is funny. And he was trying to give me an IV. And I was just bouncing like this. And yeah, that's going to work, right? And so I remember at least two attempts. And him, the MT, he was such a great guy. But we got to the hospital, and he was apologizing. He said, I'm so sorry, because I had all these sticks in my arm, but I had no IV. And I said, well, I don't blame you. I don't think anybody could have got an IV the way we were bouncing around. And, and they got me in, and, um, and immediately all these people started scurrying around me. I um, eventually, I think I was in an, an initial room and then another room, which turned out to be a cath lab. And uh, I remember the doctor saying to me, I was kind of in and out a little bit, but I remember the doctor saying to me, we're going to do an angiogram, and we're going to go in through your wrist, and here are all the risks. You could die, blah, blah, blah. Is it okay if we do this? So, yeah, I said, it's okay if you do that. So they went in, and you saved my life. I turned out to have 100% blockage in a major artery and another 80% blockage. And uh, they put a... They decided not to do open-heart surgery, thank God, but they put a huge dent in there. and They took care of the 100% and took me up to ICU. I spent the night in ICU. Yes, everybody is right. You don't sleep well if you're a patient in a hospital. But the next day, they took me in and did the 80% side and took care of me and then sent me home that afternoon. And I was feeling, like, much better, except it's taken about a month for me to get my stamina back and everything. But my blood's flowing again. Some of my pastor friends have been joking with me that 
uh, oh, Bradford's probably only been functioning on half his brain up till now. You know, so um, no promises there. My brain feels fine, doesn't feel any better than it used to feel. But uh, I, I am feeling already more energy. I always thought I had a lot of energy in things. But here's some of my takeaways. No, number one, through the entire experience, I remember it distinctly, through the entire experience, being in that ambulance, being at the Y, being in that ambulance, being rushed into that hospital, everybody scurrying around. I remember asking and one of the nurses, I said, now, did I have a minor heart attack or was that major? So, oh, that was a major heart attack you had. And I remember the doctor reading me off the risks. And, and I want to tell you, there wasn't a moment I wasn't just held by the peace of God. I had no fear. I had no panic. Even when I heard my blood, my heart rate was dropping, I, I, I had no fear whatsoever. It was like the peace of God. That This verse has continued to, I preached on it a while back when we talked about the fruit of the Spirit as peace. But I've gone back to it. John 14, Jesus said, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Now, if you took that last sentence in isolation, I mean, well, thanks, Jesus, for giving me something I can't live up to. I mean, you're kidding me. In my world, with all our vulnerabilities, you mean don't be afraid and don't let my heart be troubled. I mean, just in a vacuum, that'd be a hard one. But before he says, don't, give place to fear, he says, my peace I give you. And it's a world-defying peace, not as the world can give you. Only out of a relationship with me can you have my peace. I felt the peace of Jesus hold me. I'm so grateful for that. And gratitude is another one of my big takeaways from this. I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for the amazing staff at Mercy Hospital that intervened so quickly. I'm so grateful for the doctor who went up twice through my wrist and somehow got something into the middle of me and opened those arteries and set me up to go for, they say, a long time. And I'm so grateful for blood that flows again and I'm grateful for the great medical care I, gave, I had. And, and I'm, um, you know, my nurse and I see in ICU the first day when I finally got up, the middle of the day, Monday, to ICU, uh, she, uh, she told me, oh, I go to James River Church, she says. And so I'm going, wow, skill and faith I get all around me. I'm just grateful for all the people God put around me. And then I'm so grateful for all your prayers. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 11. This is out of the New Living Translation. And you are helping us by praying for us. Paul just said that, you're helping us by praying for us. We're not wasting our time when we're praying for each other. In fact, I love Dick Eastman, that famous uh, guy still alive, but he's written over the last decades so much, influenced the prayer movement so much. He said, prayer is love on its knees. 
It's, uh, it's a way we love one another when we pray for one another. And he said, Paul said, you are helping us by praying for us. I do not give to you. He says, then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. So you're helping us. And then a whole bunch of other people are going to be giving praise to God and lifting the incense of worship to the throne room of God. Why? Because your prayers made a difference in my life, Paul's saying. And I could just easily personalize that today and thank you for your prayers. My friend Franklin here from India, who's studying at the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary, he said, oh, pastor, all my, all, we had all these churches in India praying for you. And I know so many of you prayed for me. And I want to thank you. I, I'm amazed at the peace of God. And I'm amazed, and I, I've just been overwhelmed with gratitude. I can be here. And... Uh, this was kind of one of my bigger revelations, actually, out of this whole experience. It was that I didn't see this coming. And that what was true about what was happening in my body had nothing to do with what I felt. I felt healthy. I felt energy. And yet what I felt was totally untrue about what was really happening inside of me. And I worry about this about so many of us First of all, in our culture. When I was growing up as a teenager, it was pretty much, pretty much broadly accepted back in the 60s and 70s by that point that truth, there's no absolute truth. It was like, well, your truth is your truth, people would say to me, and my truth is my truth, which means there's no truth, right? But truth was what you choose it to be. Now that's morphed over the last few decades, and today, Truth, for most people, is what they feel. If it feels true, it's true. That's my truth. So I'll do me, and you do you, and above all, what you feel is most important in life. If you're happy, if you can be content with yourself, doesn't matter what you're doing with your life, it doesn't matter what you think of God or not, because there's no absolute God if there's no absolute truth. But what you feel is what you are. And it nearly killed me to find out that what I felt was not what really, what was going on. What I felt had nothing to do with what was truth about my body. And that's why we talk a lot in this church family about who you are in Christ. That's why we say feelings aren't leaders, feelings are followers. That's why we enshrine the Word of God in our church. There's got to be a foundation that goes beyond how I felt when I got up this morning. Because how I feel may have nothing to do with reality. The reality was I was dying, even though at 25 minutes on that elliptical, I felt great till that sweat broke out on me. That's why I often say when we gather together as a church family, we want to be a place that's spiritually engaging and biblically thoughtful. I don't want to just be thoughtful and not engage the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, but I want to just engage the presence and power of the Holy Spirit without being thoughtful and centered on Scripture. 
We need to be spiritually engaged and scripturally thoughtful because it's not how I feel about myself today. It's what God's word says about who he is, who I am, and the relationship I can have with him. That's the bottom line. That's why I love 2 Corinthians, I mean 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Paul writes, all scripture is God-breathed. He's not saying how you necessarily feel today is God-breathed, but he said all scripture is God-breathed. And it's scripture that shapes our perception, not our emotions. Our emotions will follow. But it's what God's word says. And it's breathed from God himself, scripture. And it's useful for teaching. That word can be translated doctrine, what we need to believe. It's useful, thank God for this, for rebuking us. Because some things we need to stop doing. Some of us are ruining our lives. And some things we need to stop doing. Whether we feel like stopping them or not whether we're addicted to them or not. Some things we need to stop doing. We need rebuking of the word of God. And correcting, that means things we need to start doing to make the way straight, that word literally means. And training in righteousness, that's a nurturing word. That's what my daughter Angeline is, and, and Michael, her husband, are starting to do with little, little Elsie already. Already on her third day of life, they're nurturing her shaping, forming her little life. And this is what God's word does. It's like the mold that shapes our lives. It's not, it's not me, being, me doing me and you doing you and it's however you feel, nothing more important in life than that. It's what does God's word do for what we need to believe, what we need to stop doing, what we need to start doing and what we need to become. This is the word of God. I'm more committed to God's word than anything and ever before. I thank God that some things are true no matter what I feel. And I don't have to trust. I just lost all confidence in feeling healthy six weeks ago. Because I realized I could just flat out be asymptomatic and who knows what's going on inside of me. And that, that just has been a new way of seeing my relationship with Jesus. The last thing I want to talk to you about, though, I really come away from is um, it's just the idea of eternity. Because uh, after the first procedure was over, and I was still lying there in the cath lab, the doctor looked at me and said, you had 90 minutes. And you got in here in time. You had 90 minutes. You don't face those moments very often in life. Sandy and I were flying a few years ago with our older daughter, Meredith, and our younger daughter who just had the baby. She wasn't with us. And our plane was hit by lightning. It was physically, we saw a huge blast, heard a, heard a huge blast, saw the blast. Our, our plane was physically damaged. And the pilot was able to land it, but thank God, but not before my, my wife had quickly written a text to our other daughter who just had the baby saying, oh, assuming we never see you again, we want you to know. So once in a while you face those moments in life. I had another one where I was trying to get somewhere in southern Idaho to preach a few years ago at a church on Sunday morning. I had a lot of flight delays on Saturday. It was the middle of the night. I was in a small rental car all alone in the middle of the night 
on a mountain pass somewhere between Utah and southern Idaho, and in a blizzard, in a strong wind, I've never been so terrified in my life driving. And I remember thinking to myself, if my windshield wipers stop, I die. That was probably the other time I felt like I faced death. And I was terrified. That was, there was no peace of God in that one at that moment. Although, thank God, he protected me through it. But the doctor said, you have 90 minutes. So then you, I didn't have a flashback of my whole life. Heard someone recently say, you know, life's short and eternity's long. So I've started to think about afresh about something Paul wrote. It's at the end of chapter 13 of Romans, and he kind of changes. It's not even what the first part of chapter 13 is even about. It's almost like he just gets really inspired and starts to preach at us. And in Romans 13, verse 11, and do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And I suppose in some ways, the day will die is nearer now than yesterday, of course. But he's really talking about the day when this life will end, when Jesus will come back again. And he says it's easy to get overconfident, just like Proverbs says, don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day will bring. So we can just kind of get kind of lazy and sleepy about the reality of eternity. Eternity doesn't mean much to us. Everything focuses on this life, everything that absorbs us, everything that we put our hopes in, everything that we want, and everything that we feel gets just wrapped up in today and tomorrow and this life, and we lose a glimpse of eternity. I was just even reading a statistic, like many young people, even in, in our churches, no longer give to the work of God. They don't give money to the work of God. They may give to a charity here and there, but they don't give to the work of God anymore. That's a symptom of losing sight of eternity. Some of us, we don't pray much anymore because that's a symptom of losing sight that this life is so short and eternity is so long. And he said, we, we can get towards, we're, we're kind of sleepwalking through life, spiritually sleepwalking. I mean, we're functioning in life, we're doing fine, but in terms of being aware of eternity, in, in, in terms of being aware of the ultimate end, in terms of being aware of, uh, of the fact that, that it's not just getting what I can for tomorrow, but I need to be ready for eternity. That's, that's what this is all about. And so he says, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. And we just look at world events right now, and he's coming back. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, because some of us are wasting our lives right now. He says, if you're living the light, you're not living the party life, you're not half intoxicated out of your mind all the time, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, which our culture is flooded with, not in dissension and jealousy, 
or even it grieves me how much Christian believers can be so angry these days. Now, that has to do with the night. That has to do with what's passing away. That has to do with what's coming under the judgment of God. They said, rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus. I want to invite you today to clothe yourself with Jesus. In the end, he's all you have. Some of you have walked through terrible times. The Lord spared my life. I'm painfully aware some of you have loved ones God did not spare. Like my dad who died of a heart attack at 75 while my mom lived to 94. I don't get that stuff. And you grieve it and you wonder, God, where are you and how could I ever sing of your goodness again? I, I don't get all of this. All I know is this life's really short. And who knows what a day will bring. But here's what we do know. We can be clothed with Jesus. And by the grace of God, I've been pretty hurt at times in my life. I've had some big disappointments. And I almost died six weeks ago. But I'm not going to let any one of those things ever take away from my life the privilege of being clothed with him and walking with him and having his peace. No matter whether I get him or not, but I get him in the sense that I get what he's doing or not doing, allowing or not allowing. I want to be clothed with Jesus Christ. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus and don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Live in his spirit. Live for the kingdom of God that's coming. I'd like you to bow your heads with me.